Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Good morning. Morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Paul, one of the leaders here. It's my job to take us through our next passage, which is Exodus 18. So if you've got your Bibles, be good if you could have them out. They will be on the screen, but it's helpful just to see where we are in the flow of the story as well. So Exodus chapter 18. So the book of Exodus, what we're seeing is that God is forming a people. You'll see it on the screen. Just go back to the, the Exodus series slide there. Back. Thanks, Jimmy. Underneath it says journey of formation. So the second part that we're looking at in the book of Exodus is the journey of formation. And what we've seen is we've seen God bring his people out of slavery. And he's forming this people as a people, a people that he's shown his character to and a people who he's going to display his character through to the world. And we read that after they're walking through the Red Sea, they were, they were rejoicing, they were singing. And what God did, he led them into the wilderness. This journey of formation actually led them into the wilderness here, they're, they're hungry, they're, they grumble against Moses, they grumble against God. They forget all that had gone on before. And they desire to go back to Egypt, they desire to go back to slavery. But God, he's gracious. If we're hungry, he's gracious. That means he's gracious and he's patient. And he provides for them. He gives them bread in the morning and he gives them meat in the evening. And he gives them water from the rock to quench their thirst. He is showing them in the wilderness, look, I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm going to provide everything that you need. And the end of chapter, chapter 17, we read that they face some opposition in the form of the Amalekites. And Israel, through Joshua and the prayers of Moses, defeats them. So let me pray, and then we'll make our way through chapter 18. Father, thank you so much that we get to open your word. This is your word, your living word to us, your people. So Father, by your spirit, we pray. Give us hearts to receive this word as a word of, of refreshment, as a word of life, as a word of joy, as a word of peace, as your people gather in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 1 to 6 of chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses, for, as, uh, for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So just to give a bit of context here. So after fleeing from Egypt, Moses, what he does, he goes to, to Midian. And there he meets and marries a, a woman called Zipporah. She's the daughter of a Midianite priest called Jethro. And Moses actually spends 40 years working as a shepherd. And he has two sons there. And the two sons that we need the name of here, but we also get an understanding for why they're called that way. And I think we get an understanding for how Moses understood his time, the, his, his time of 40 years of exile, how he got a picture of his own identity. Because he says one of his sons was called a sojourner or a traveler, and another one was called God as his helper. So Moses was a sojourner or a traveler who has God as his helper. And he's amongst this people group called the Midianites. Now, just to give you a bit of understanding of who they were. So the Midianites, like Israel, they were descended from Abraham hundreds upon hundreds of years before. So after Sarah died, Abraham's wife, Abraham remarried and he had children, one of whom was Midian. And he was the fourth, fourth child out of six. So the Midianites are the descendants of Midian. So on some very, very 
distant way, Jethro and Zipporah were very, very distant cousins. But as the years passed, there's also some enmity. There's a weird relationship that springs up between Israel and, and the Midianites. And what happens is we read that the Midianites have a part to play in Joseph being sold to slavery. And then we arrive here, we see that Moses spent his time here. And then before or during the actual exodus from Egypt, we don't exactly know why, or so we don't exactly know where, but Moses appears to have sent his wife and his kids to their grandparents, to Jethro, to stay with them. And Jethro, we read, he heard reports of what's been going on. I'm pretty sure that the word of mouth that has spread, the stories of plagues, the stories of storms and, and death and sea splitting, all involving his son-in-law. And so what he does, he makes his way with his wife, he makes his way with his kids. Kids probably totally high on sugar after spending time with the grandparents. And he sends word ahead so that Moses can get ready. Prepare yourself for the family to come in. And he comes to, to the mountain of God, Sinai, where Israel have arrived from Horeb. And we get to verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses was a, so Jethro was a priest of Midian. So he might have some kind of knowledge of the God of Abraham, something that might have been just been passed on, maybe some practices or rituals or stories, whatever it was. But verse 11, a little bit later on, as we're going to get to in a second, Jethro actually acknowledges that God is greater than the other gods, meaning that he probably didn't before. So we worship God as one God among many gods. But in reality, what that means is that he's not worshiping God at all, because the God of the Bible is not one God among many. His truth is not one truth among many truths. His way is not one way among many ways. That's what God's been showing Israel and the world through the Exodus account, that he is the only one true God. So what I believe happens here is that Moses actually proclaims the gospel to his unbelieving father-in-law. But he does it in such a loving and honoring way. So what does he do? Well, he goes out to meet him. You've got to realize Moses was a very great man. Moses was a celebrity. He's probably one of the most famous people on the planet and in the region by now after what had happened. And a very important great man would have waited in the tent to have received a guest. But Moses doesn't. He humbles himself. He goes out to meet Jethro. And when he meets him, he bows down. It's a sign of honor, a public display of honor in him. And then he kisses him. That's a, a warm, affectionate hug. And he asks about him. After all that Moses had been through, after all that God had done through him, he doesn't just go, let me tell you. He asks, how are you? Moses loved Jethro, and he displayed it through the way that we see him displaying this hospitality. And then he goes on to proclaim the gospel. That, that word told in verse 8 is actually the Hebrew word for proclaim. So what did he do? He told him all that God had done through him to Pharaoh, all the signs and wonders. He told him about the death of the firstborn, the sacrificial lamb, the, the covering of blood for God's people. He would have told them about the freeing his people from slavery. He would have told them about God's victory through the waters of judgments. And he also told him, which I find stands out to me, he tells, he tells Jethro about the hardship, the wilderness, the hunger, the thirst, the complaining, and how God graciously delivered them, provided for them in the wilderness. He doesn't withhold suffering, trouble, and distress from his gospel proclamation. He doesn't. There's so much to take here, I think, from Moses' approach. 
There's a lot of similarities, I think, from, from what we see here from Jethro in our culture. Our culture has some very basic concepts of the concept of a God or a Christian God, very basic, swimming around in weird ways through this culture. Much of it has been distilled and distorted. Lots of concepts of, of, of many truths and many ways to God. And we have been given this point, this place in time to, by God to proclaim the truth of the gospel into our culture. This is our time to proclaim the, the gospel into our culture that there is only one way through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in him we are saved. But as we do it, we're also to do it in a way that displays our relationship to him. See, he is such a good, gracious, loving God. We have a relationship not with an abstract, distant God, but with a very present God who walks with us through every single moment of our lives. He's with us through brokenness. He's with us through pain. He's with us through suffering. He's with us through difficulty. He's close and he uplifts us. And I think what we see here is that suffering and brokenness and a hopelessness, the pathways for us to speak of God's love for us and to us. So we're called to speak the truth and love, to move towards people, to love and honor them. If you're struggling to think who, I think the challenge is start with your own family, the people that God has put right around you. So how did Jethro respond? Verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So how did he re respond, number one, with joy? That rejoice, that's a, a rare Hebrew word. It actually means an overwhelming sense of joy. It goes, a joy that goes deep into the soul, a transforming joy that can only come from God. And Jethro's reason for joy is because of what God has done. That's a pattern, that's what happens. God's people rejoice when they hear about God doing his work. They do. When we hear stories about people being saved, when we hear the testimony of how God has saved people and called people and brought people to himself. And not only that, but how people have shown grace, how God has shown grace and tenderness to his people through difficulty and suffering and pain and hardship. Our hearts are stirred within us. Think about the baptisms that we have. How amazing are they? And one of the most amazing parts is when people share their stories and we're like, that's incredible. Isn't God amazing? That's how God's people respond. Second of all, he praises. He blesses God because of who God is. He acknowledges the greatness of God over all things. And he calls God Lord. That's Yahweh, verse 10. It's a covenant name, a relational name. Thirdly, what he does, he worships rightly through offering and sacrifice. A little bit later on. Moses is talking to the people of Israel. He says this, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifice. This is all through the Bible. We do not just stroll nonchalantly up to God for fear of death. God is holy. God tells us the way to approach him. He makes it very, very clear we approach him his way, the way that he says. And that's what Jethro does. Worshiping rightly in God's place, in God's way. Four, we see that he worships in community. So first of all, Jethro responds firstly and praises to God in faith, but then he's drawn into fellowship. 
He's praising, in, he's praising God in this worshipful community with brothers and sisters. And folks, that's always the case. We do not have an individualistic faith. When God calls you, he calls you to be a part of a people. You can't live this faith out on your own. It doesn't work. And remember that Jethro here, he's a Midianite. So what do we have here? A picture of a non-Israelite gathered around a sacrifice, a meal, a feast, being part of God's people, worshiping God. So this, this whole episode here is lifting our eyes up. This is a thread that's being pulled all through the Bible, God's eternal plan, which is God's plan all along to gather a multitude of people through the work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That's what's being shown us here. There is a thread that is going to lead all the way forwards and all the way backwards. And the evening ends here with Jethro, a Midianite with a joy in his heart, praising the one true God, breaking bread with other believers. But Jethro hangs around for a bit, verse, 16, verse 13 to 16. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So Jethro, he hangs around the camp for a bit. And he sees Moses in his ministry. Now, don't forget the context again here of what's going on. So Israel have, have been brought out of Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. The last part of which has been in slavery, horrific conditions. And there's loads of them. Thousands, if not millions, depending upon how you do the count here. Loads of refugees. And they're moving through the wilderness. They're moving to a new place. They've gone through trauma. They've gone through resettlement issues. They've gone through family issues. A newly freed people group, a group who were slaves, are being formed into a people. Folks, this is no easy task. We've got to realize that. This is humanity. There's a lot of issues that need sorting, a huge amount of issues that need sorting, and they're important. And as God's newly formed people, it needs to be sorted God's way. But it is all new. So where do they go? To God's man, Moses. And every day what would happen is Moses would sit on his judgment seat and from morning through to evening they would stand around waiting. I'm not sure if they were queuing. I think I'm British. I see that in my head. I'm not sure what that would look like. But they're just waiting around to speak to him. And Jethro's like, what, what's happening? What, what do you think you're doing? The, the tone and the language and implication of Jethro speaking here, the implication is saying this, this seems ridiculous. And Moses replies, it, it, it must be really difficult for him. Folks, this is his father-in-law. Let me just say it is hard having your in-laws watch you work, okay? I've got four here today. And Moses actually thinks he's doing good, which he is in a way. And he says, he tries to justify what's happened. He says, look, they come to me. If you look at it, he says it twice. I'm helping them solve their problems. They bring their troubles to me and I decide for them. And he explains what he does. He says, well, I decide between disputes but there's also another part to what I do. He teaches them God's word. He counsels them. He helps them apply the truth of God's statutes and laws, and he helps them to live out those truths as God's people. Jethro then gives them advice, verse 17. 
Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Okay, so Jethro is not impressed. In fact, what seems to come out here, Jethro is a bit worried. He expresses a strong disapproval in verse 17. He's like, what you're doing isn't good. Yes, you're teaching. Yes, you're help, helping. Yes, you're mediating. But you're doing it without limits. He's kind of asking the question, what is the cost of you doing this? So why might this not be good? Let, let's ask that question. Because I think verse 18, Jethro goes there. I think he answers this question for us. What he says is, you can't do this alone. It's impossible. He's saying to him, you will burn out. He's saying, this is too heavy for you. With all the best intentions, you're carrying a load that's too heavy to carry. It's really interesting, this, folks, because it's often good things that can lead to bad things. It really is. Many leaders, many leaders, and specifically the leaders of God's people fail. And often it's not because of great moral lapse. It begins with good intentions, a desire to teach and to help and to care and to pastor, to resolve conflicts, all good things. But people never run out of needs. People will always need help. There is always, always, always more to do. Some of the time, folks, this could actually be sin and idolatry which leads to this. It could be from the leader's perspective. It could be a savior complex. Only I can fix this. Only I can sort this problem. Only I'm mature enough, have the discernment, the experience enough, or the relational capital to sort this problem. Or it could be from the people's perspective. Well, I'm actually not cared for if a certain leader hasn't cared for me. All these other things might have happened. You might have done this, this, this through all these different people, and all these people might have been around. All this goodness might have been displayed, but my problem isn't solved and I don't feel cared for if they haven't talked to me about this. Jephro hints at this difficulty. Verse 18, he says, the people will wear out. He's saying, this is not good for the community. This is not good for the people around you to have a, a one-man ministry model. They depend on you. They're waiting for you. Conflict, situation, circumstances, they're not going away. And what happens is resentment will creep in. Envy creeps in. Bitterness creeps in. Anger even creeps in against a leader or a group of leaders who you love and have great affection for. That's how subtle these things can work. And the people around, they just don't flourish when there's a bottleneck with the space just for one man or one person or a few people. 
And it means that a lot of gifted, able people without the opportunity to serve, without the opportunity to flourish, will experience resentment. It will creep in, if not guarded against. There will be isolation. They will be drifting away. So what Jethro does, he gives them advice. Just look at the way he does it. It's so loving and gracious. It's great. He actually builds Moses up. He encourages Moses in his ministry. He says, there is good in what you're doing. He tells him that. He's like, don't just get rid of everything. There's good in what you're doing. But let's do it in a healthy way. See, your role it is to represent the people. He isn't taking Moses away from his calling that God has given to him. You are the covenant mediator for Israel. You do stand between God and man in this setting. You are to teach God's word. You are to teach God's people how to apply this. You are to show people how to live. You are to continue to lead God's people, but as you do, get help for it. Share this load with the right people who can help govern this nation. And you will have more impact, and Israel as a nation will be better off. And it gives them real clarity on who to look for. First of all, relationship with God is primary. There are to be men who fear God so they can give godly counsel when needed. Even when people don't want to hear or when people don't want to agree, they fear God, not man. Secondly, there are to be able men, men who have a capacity, a gifting, and a capability to carry that bit more. These are going to be men who step towards people in need, men who take relational responsibility within the community of believers. Thirdly, they're going to be men of good character, trustworthy. They won't be pulled to greed or pulled to selfish motive. And fourthly, they're to be from all the people. It's a diversity here. Representative, not just those closest to Moses, not just those who might look or sound or act like Moses, not his inner circle, but from all of Israel. And you see, that's what happens through Deuteronomy 1. And what Moses does, he gives him, what Jethro does, he gives him a strategy. He says, place them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. In this way, all of God's people will be cared for. All of God's people will be heard. And the small matters are to be worked out amongst God's people. If there's something that is major, well, they'll yet bring it through the structure to Moses if needs be. So the whole structure works and the whole structure brings health. And remember, this wasn't just a, a judgment thing. It's not just a judgment thing, but it's also applying God's word into the life of God's people. It's helping God's people live in light of God's word through all of life. So this helped them to do it with each other, not just in front of Moses and waiting all day, every day, but with each other in the ordinariness of life. Jethro said to Moses, God is in this. Take it to God, pray to God. They pray to God, it seems, and, and Moses takes it to God. We read that in Deuteronomy. And he says, you will endure in your ministry. Knock on effect of that is you will be healthy. Your relationship with God will be healthy. Your marriage will be healthy. Your relationship with your kids and your relationship with God's people will move in a healthy direction. And God's people won't suffer, but they will benefit. In verse 23, what does he say? He says, they'll have peace. There is life and there is blessing and there is peace in God's people walking this way. And how does Moses respond? Verse 24, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. 
a big leadership lesson here, I think, folks. Really big. Yes, there is wisdom in much counsel. But it takes humility to listen and to grow. Moses listens and he responds rightly. Moses listens, he responds rightly because I think he's aware of his limitations and he's aware of his weakness. And with God's help, through the help of God's people, he steps forward into his weaknesses and his limitations. Humility is at the heart of healthy leadership. And the key to understanding this passage, I think, is where it's placed. See, as we know, Israel is about to go on to receive the ten, all of God's law, the Ten Commandments, followed by all of these other ones that he's going to give them. So God is setting up here a way for Israel to live as his people, to apply his word that he is proclaiming to them. And as Jethro leaves his in-laws, situation seems to be heading in a healthy direction. God's word at the heart of God's people being lived out with healthy leaders in the right place, and a people with peace working out life together and the life of faith together. So how do we go about applying this? Just a couple of things from this last section. First of all, we have a structure as a church for the spiritual health of God's people. You hear us talk a lot about gospel communities. These kind of, let's, let's put these into the tens category here. These are the smaller family units where we, we take the word of God and we live it out. So we take the word of God that is preached on a Sunday morning and we take it and we apply it in the ordinariness of life, in family units, in normal, down-to-earth, ordinary, just everyday groups of people pushing it down, pushing God's word right down into everyday life, praying together. Seeking God's help together, being accountable to one another, applying all those one another's that the New Testament calls us to. Second of all, we have these neighborhoods. So a neighborhood is three gospel communities gathered together, bigger groups. Let's call these the 50s. And these are places, yes, where we get fellowship and prayer. But a lot of the stuff that you'll see goes on behind the scenes. These are set up to provide the leaders with a place to seek help. A place to be accountable, to be, build leadership community. That is really important. And these neighborhoods are overseen by elders. Elders who are spiritually healthy men. Who are able, capable men who can lead. Men of good character. Trustworthy men. Gentlemen. Men who actually take responsibility and took responsibility before they took the office. Men recognized for servant-like leadership. And they've gone through a process. Have you seen all this? Recognize all this? And it is us, the church, that together appoint them. As you see, Deuteronomy 1, that Israel appoints their own elders. There is a biblical flow of these things from Old Testament to New Testament. God's people living out their faith with the word of God's central, working it out in community. With order and structures that help God's people to function. It is so important. Order and structure is important for us to live as God's people. So with that in mind, first thing I would like to say is one, please, if you are not in a gospel community, join one. It's not just an empty thing that we say. It is not just an empty call out. It is central to your faith. It is central to walking out as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Gospel communities are where the life of the church effectively is lived out. You are welcome here. We love that you are here on a Sunday morning. We genuinely do. And we want you to keep coming and be amongst us. And we actually don't want it to stop there. We want to invite you right into the family and say, look, this is an open door. Here we are. Come and experience the goodness of grace in God as he causes people to live this out. Gospel communities are where spiritual growth happens, really. It's where you see spiritual growth together in relationship to one another. As we serve each other. It's not just about receiving. It's not just about taking. Actually, we flourish as believers when we serve other people. It's key to our faith. It's where we love. Where we display our love. Not we're just with people that are like us. We're with a family. We're all different. It's where we walk and live out our lives together as believers. We had our, our gospel community on Thursday. And with equipping different things. We haven't had that formal gathering. And it was just wonderful to be a part of. You know what we did? We, we, we came and for an hour and a half we just ate. We had food together. We chatted together. There was no pressure. We just engaged with one another. We talked. It was just lovely. And then we sang, and then we prayed, and then we just opened God's word up, what Steve opened up for us last week, and we together just said, what's God showing us here? What is God showing us? How do we live this out? What is the grace? What is the goodness? And then after that, we prayed for God's help together, because we know that it's not easy to live it out, and we prayed together, say, Lord, help us to live this out. And then we sang together, the truth that God does that, and we all went away full full on one level it's not special but on another level it is special it's ordinary is what i want to say but it is supernatural because it's god's people gathering folks please can i invite you invite you don't leave this place today without getting involved and you want to know more come and see us there'll be people in the hall the connect team ben myself will be in the the back foyer area there come and see us and we'll connect you up straight away today second of all help your leaders to spend a bit of time here, pray for your leaders. Folks, we are blessed, blessed, absolutely blessed with gospel community leaders. We have 10 gospel community leaders and these guys are phenomenal. They really are. They carry a weight, they care deeply, they, they love willingly and they serve freely. Pray for them and help them. And that leads me into my second point that I want to Dig down on the key to the spiritual health in a church is healthy leaders. So let me ask you a question. If you have responsibility in any sphere, any sphere, it could be that you're an elder. We have seven elders in Cornerstone Church, Liverpool. We have 21 gospel community leaders. That was my head count this morning. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it's around there. Correct me later. We've got ministry team leaders. But also, folks, if you are a leader in your workplace, many of you are business leaders here. Some of you own your own business. Some of you are management. Some of you work in different spheres. Some of you are leaders in your home. Leaders over your children. Leaders in your different relationships that you have. My question to you is, are you operating in a life-given way for you and for the people around you? Are there any warning lights flashing? And by that, what I mean is, you know, you get the lights on the dashboard in a car that tell you there's a problem? Are any of those lights flashing? Are any of those lights indicating a problem, either externally or internally? My own experience of myself and from watching other people, unhealthiness manifests in different areas. You can see it. 
manifest in your relationship with your God, a, a disconnection between you and God, a joylessness, an almost apathy and indifference that can creep in. It can manifest in distance, distance emotionally, distance relationally. It can manifest in what, what um, the medical profession will call depression. Depression-like features, it will manifest in, in anxieties. It might manifest in anger. It affects relationships and people closest to you. The people that you're called to leave, to lead, to love and to care for. I'm not standing far off from this, folks. I'm not speaking down to anybody. I have walked this path. I've been led through a spiritual wilderness. Many of you know that. And I have been, and I still am being restored by God. I say it regularly, I still think with a limp, I still do. None of us have it all together, so please don't think that you have to in this place, whatever aspect or wherever you are, because that pride is destructive. Moses moved towards health in his leadership. Why? Because of his humility. That's the starting point. He changed, he grew because of his humility. Accepting help, acknowledging vulnerability and weakness doesn't weaken you. It doesn't weaken the people around you. It actually, it's unifying and it's strengthening. God in his grace had prepared Moses to see this. Sandwiched between what we heard last week from Stay and what we've heard this week is, is chapter 17 towards the end. And there's a battle between Israel and Amalek. And Moses, he stands on a hill over the battle and he prays to God and he holds his staff up. And Israel, they're winning when the staff is held up. But Moses is weak. He can't hold his, his arms up. So his two friends, Aaron and her, they, they come along and they help. And this is a clear picture of God's leaders in weakness, helping each other, strengthening one another. It's a picture of leaders in prayer, uplifting each other in prayer, drawing on the strength of him who never tires, of him who is without limits, the God who we've just been singing, who fights for his people. Who do you have that relationship with? Who do you have that relationship with? Who do you pray with? Whatever your spirit, let me specifically talk to leaders in Cornerstone Church, Liverpool. Who do you have that relationship with? Who do you confide in? Who do you share your struggles with? Let me ask it a different way. Who are you closest enough to that they will hold up your arms when you're weary? Who is close enough to say, what you're doing isn't good. Would you receive that if someone said that to you? But folks, this is not to look around and say, well, that's no one for me. That's not what we're called to. Do not move towards self-pity. Begin that conversation today. Take responsibility today. Invite that conversation in today. Build that friendship today. I was talking about something last night with a, with a friend that said that men at the age of 35 to 50 really struggle to build friendship. I'm 45, nearly 46, got one month left. It's true. Fellas, be careful. It's isolation, isolating. Build friendships, right friendships, good friendships, spiritual, biblical friendships that you can grow in, that you can be yourself in, that you can make a mess in, and that you can be pointed to God in. Seek help if you need it. Folks, the reality here is that we are weak. Paul actually says this. The gospel treasure is in jars of clay. 
2 Corinthians 12, 10, he says this. God's grace is sufficient for you, for his power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are weak, but God is not. So our weaknesses should draw our gaze to God, the infinite, eternal, all-powerful one. Isaiah 40 says it beautifully. God is everlasting. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. He is the God who gives power to the faint, who increases the strength of him who has no might. They who wait for the Lord shall have their strength renewed. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God gives us everything that we need to do what he calls us to do through what he calls us to do. Turn to him. And as we move now towards communion, let's not do a stop-start part of the service. This is a wonderful invitation to turn to him. If you don't know him here today, if you don't know him, this is an invitation to turn to him right now. He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know the sin that you carry and you've brought into this place or the guilt that you carry internally that no one else knows about. But I would ask that you would, just right now in your heart, ask God that he would lift up your eyes to see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who says, all of that sin has been taken. I died in your place. That guilt is gone and that shame is covered. You're mine. Trust in, trust in my Lord. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust. If that is you today, please, do that. Join us. But if you can't do that, let this pass. There'll be some words on the screen to help you as you walk through communion. Cornerstone Liverpool, those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a mediator, someone who stands between us and God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. And he knows you, he understands you. He takes your request to the Father. We're told the Holy Spirit takes the, the very groanings that we, we can't even put into words and presents them to the Father. Your requests, both spoken and unspoken, are taken to him. So as you take this bread and as you take this wine, let's remember that. Leave the pride at the cross and in humility turn to God and ask for help. And as you take this bread and take this wine, I would ask that you pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for those under your leadership or in your area of responsibility. Can I ask that you will pray for the leaders? The elders, the men who are appointed into that office, but also the leaders across all the church. Just ordinary people who need the grace of God as much as anybody else. Pray for us. And if you're close enough to someone, pray with them. If you want to move and go and pray with someone that you want to pray with, that's okay too. You're allowed to move in this church. So as we take communion... Please do that. If you feel it, it would be right for you to go and pray with someone, to break bread with someone, to go and put your hands on someone who you, you know that you want to pray for. Maybe a leader. Maybe a gospel community leader. Maybe an elder. Pray for them. Let's be a, prayer, a church that unites in prayer. And ask for God's help to live this out. Not just now. Not just here. Not just as we sing. But as we move into this week.
so that we will be a people who let's uphold each other's arms in the battle, one with another. Let me pray. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life and his death and his resurrection. Thank you that he ascended into heaven, that he is by your side right now. Father, I pray for each and every one of us as there are things that are going through our hearts as we think this through, as we we engage with this, Father, that are unspoken words maybe that we haven't confessed, that are things that we haven't yet spoken of. Father, you know. Help us to confess them, to leave them at the cross. And Father, I just pray that now we would, if there's anyone here who is struggling in weakness and vulnerability and limitations, anyone who's got stuck in patterns or habits, that, that we would walk rightly one with another. Father, give us the courage and the humility to walk rightly with each other in this. Father, I pray for the leaders at this place. Protect them, I pray. Strengthen them, I pray. I pray that they would know who they are in light of being your children with weaknesses and limitations, but in those weaknesses and limitations, they would draw to you and to each other. Father, make us a place of safety for those who struggle. Make us a place of safety that we would move one towards another. Open our hearts. Open our mouths, I pray. Father, lay on our hearts even now the people in this room that we need to pray with, that we would not just sit on that, but we would move and we would pray with them. Move in our hearts by your spirit to do that, I pray. And I pray that our hearts would be refreshed and encouraged as we live this out through this week. We love you. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we love you.